Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, a massive week for Newcastle United. My name's Taylor Payne and I'm joined by Mr Chris Woff and also Mr George Corgan. How are we doing, George? How's your legs? Uh, sore knee, tender sole, washed out. Um, <laughs> however, um, I'm doing significantly better than one of our colleagues, Jacob Whitehead. I'd just yeah. like to point out that the, the tortoise did beat the hare on this occasion. Just to remind a few people, there's a few of us running for the Bobby Robson Foundation, football writers, including uh, a handful from the uh, from the Athletic, doing the Great North Run at the weekend as Sir Bobby's team. Really good. We've raised six grand or so for the foundation, which is marvellous. Very proud of all my colleagues. We were given a scare by our colleague and friend, Jacob Whitehead, who disappeared off all metrics on the Great North Run app after eight or nine miles. And, um, of course, there's no reception at the end and very hot day. Couldn't find him. Went to the medical tent. No sign of him. Went to the lost person's tent. No sign of him. Nobody's heard what happened. Anyway, finally got a text message through from him a couple of hours later just saying, oops. (laughs) And I managed to get a phone call out and he was in hospital in South Tyneside. And I think had probably gone off a bit too quickly in dreadful, dreadful heat. Anyway, he's totally fine. He's recovering. He got picked up. It was uh, it was a very 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 strange day, all things considered. And um, he's doing well. I've had a cup of, cup of tea with him today. I'm proudly wearing my Great North Run medal for this recording. Something that Jacob will never be doing because he hasn't got one. Oh, it's no need to rub it in, though, George. Come on. <laughs> no, it's a bit cruel. It's a bit harsh. That, but um, but you know, experience. Experience counts for something in this world. That's all I'd say. He said, I, I thought I was doing okay. I thought I hydrated. I just went out at my training pace. It was so bloody hot, though. Yeah, it was. Um, however, just whilst I've mentioned that, um, Jacob wasn't the hottest person at the Great North Run. I'd just like to pay special tribute to Eddie Howe, who started the Great North Run, of course, and seems to have been under the mistaken impression that it, he was attending a Johnny Cash convention because he'd come <laughs> dressed... All in black, a black suit, black shirt. I mean, looked sartorially looked looked really good. But um, what a! I mean, you, you don't often talk about Eddie Howe and tactical errors, but what a tactical error that was! Yeah, hottest day of the year in black, full in black. And if you're a gentleman of a certain age, I'm sure you've all experienced this. I know I have. When you're so hot and you've sw- and you're sweating so much, you then can't take off your outer garment. Because the inner garment is covered in yeah, sweat. Everything's ruined. And so you have to stay hotter in order to protect your own... Eddie Howe was doing... I was a few feet away from him at the start of the run. What a tactical blunder by a, by a, by a master. 
What I find most surprising about that is, I'll be honest, I didn't think Eddie Howe owned any outfits beyond the Newcastle United training outfits because I've seen him, <laughs> even on social occasions, and he only ever seems to wear that. So I presume that it's the only thing he had in the cupboard and that's why that wasn't Newcastle United branded. I didn't see the shoes. Was it Was it the black shoes with the white soles, the pundit trainers? Was it? The, was he wearing uh, those? I, didn't see, I couldn't see. I it could, must have been he, all he black. Was, it was all black. It was an all black outfit. I didn't see his shoes. I didn't. Anyway, yeah, that was a that was a strange episode. <laughs> Maybe he was off to deliver chocolates to a lady in the bath later that night. He looked good. I yeah. have to say, he looked good. He just he looked really he looked really hot. Definitely dressed for a night out and not for high five and sixty thousand Geordies, Was he on a boiling hot afternoon? Chris Wolf's here and all. Chris, aren't you? Eventually, how are you doing? I am. Yes. Uh, well, I have decided that. Uh, I was at a wedding in Dorset over the weekend and Lovely. having nearly melted on the train between London and Dorset, I've decided that that counts as my one trip to the South Coast for the season, so therefore I'm deferring the rest of them to George for the rest of the year. You don't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> my wedding counts as, as the one game I would usually do down there, so so unlucky, George. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Chris. By the way, just I should have mentioned when we're talking about Jacob, um, he did. he basically keeled over and he had a lot of help from St John's Ambulance, so we have to say thank you to them. But also want to give a shout out to Matt Laws, who was um, who was running, and stopped with him for a few minutes to make sure he was okay. And um, they, the two of them have been in touch since then. But I don't know if Matt listens to the podcast. But we would just like to say thank you very much. All seriousness, thank you very much. Thanks for looking after him, and. Of course, have to say thank you to the incredible people who line the route Absolutely. of the run every year. It is a very, very special day, and without those ice pops on uh, on Sunday, I wouldn't have got I wouldn't have got round. Um, as well as the shouts of encouragement, it was yeah, really needed it this year. Absolutely, well done to you, George, and uh, well done to Jacob as well for getting as far as he did before uh, before keeling over. Um, with the Great North Run in mind, uh, we had a little bit more reaction to Sir Bernard Foster's appearance last week. We got an email. This is great, this, from John Freeman. Um, John wanted a little bit of help with ticket admin, which, uh, unfortunately, John, if you're listening, we can't help you with, but good luck with that. Uh, But he had some very interesting information about Brendan Foster's pre-match race around Wembley in the 1974 FA Cup final. Uh, Regarding to Brendan Foster from last week's show, uh, John writes, and more specifically, the black and white vest he wore before the Cup final that he mentioned, it's hanging in my dad's kitchen in Ireland as my wife's granddad was at the game and came back with the top as I believe it was thrown into the crowd. That is amazing. Wow. That's incredible. What a souvenir that is. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean Brendan was uh you know, he what a legend he is. It was great great having him on. Of course, he he's such a great man. He came to the Sir Bobby Robson tent afterwards in the charity village in the Great North Run and was there congratulating everyone. He somehow manages to be everywhere all at once on on what must be a massive day, but he always takes time to come and see people. He always comes down to the Sir Bobby tent, which is which is brilliant. And Another, sorry, another little self-indulgent thing. I'd just like to give a shout out to Keith Farkerson, who was one of the Bobby's team runners. He, um, Most of us were football writers. Um, we also ran with Mark Robson, one of Bobby's sons. But Keith uh, Farkerson is actually a, is a patient of the... Uh, the Cancer Trials Research Centre in Newcastle and um, I ran the last few miles with him and crossed the line with him. He is an absolute inspiration and a fantastic, fantastic fella. Didn't know if he'd be around to do the run, which puts a lot of stuff into perspective. But um, 
Yeah, brilliant. And just want to say thank you to to everybody who's contributed to the foundation because it does does incredible work. Of course, and well done, of course, to anyone listening who ran the race on Sunday. You're all gems, every single one of you. Uh, right then, let's move on to Chris Woff's favourite topic, uh, international football. Chris, how are you doing? Are you feeling all right talking about this? Because you probably kicked your height in the little meeting before we started recording, didn't you? You don't want to talk about international football at all. Well, I haven't watched a single minute of it. I really don't care. So, yeah, but go on, go on, please do. Yeah, well, Newcastle players have been busy, some of them at least. Uh, Alexander Isak scored in Sweden's 5-0 win over Estonia. Uh, Sandro Tonali started for Italy in their 1-1 draw in North Macedonia, but will not play in Milan against Ukraine as he has a minor muscle injury. Chris, have you heard anything about this? Anything to worry about? I don't know the exact specifics of it. It it seems to me to maybe be a, uh, one of those typical international break injuries, at least. I hope it is. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the ones where you just wouldn't take a risk on it, given that uh, Newcastle have some big fixtures coming up. That's what I'm hoping, anyway. I can't say that for soon. He has a far bigger assignment in Milan coming up, doesn't he? Absolutely, we'll talk about that as well. Uh, Bruno as well, he got an assist on his first start for Brazil in Brazil uh, as they beat Bolivia 5-1 and he's also rumoured to be close to a contract renewal, George, isn't he? Yes, I mean, it's not a it's not a rumour, it's true. I think that is, is pretty much done now. Um, that's good news. It was, I think it was last season when talk of a contract renewal started and it's been hanging about. He was asked about it in the summer in the United States. There was a handful of us talking to him and Big Joe in New Jersey, and we asked it, and he said it. He used the word concern about it in the sense that it hadn't been done. Talked to how about it. He said he wasn't concerned and was confident and happy that it would be done. But obviously, he's Newcastle's, he's arguably Newcastle's biggest asset in terms of value. So you want it to be done, you want the club to be protected. There's been to and fro on how much you get paid. I think. He wanted a bit more when it was the first offer came to him and that's all been done. But yeah, they're very close now and that's, you know, that's good news. But I know there's also been lots of interest on Bruno's new contract in our Twitter mentions as well. A hundred million pound release clause has been suggested by Lethario on Twitter. Uh, it's got to be high on that surely, Chris. Hasn't he be gone within a week if that was the price? I don't know the exact ins and outs of if there specifically is a release clause. I think a lot of people are trying to find out at the moment. The suggestion a few months ago, anyway, would be that it probably w- there probably would be one if uh, Bruno Gimaraes was going was going to sign a long term contract. I would have thought it would be more than a hundred million. But equally, that you get very complicated release clauses now, and um, I know for for some deals. Um, at least what was floated when players uh, would would in discussions with Newcastle before they signed. I'm not these are players who didn't necessarily sign. Were that there could even be specific release clauses for specific clubs or leagues. So whether there's that, I, I don't know for certain with Bruno Guimaraes, but I do know that that it was certainly an early part of discussions about this contract. There was talk that there would be a release clause of some form. Yeah, I mean, 100 million is actually a lot of money. I mean, we've just seen Declan Rice go from West Ham to Arsenal for 105 million uh, this summer, and then Caicedo's gone to Chelsea from Brighton for a bit more than that. I mean, it doesn't sound like a bargain, that to me, when you consider that he cost 40 million, was it? Yeah. And, you know, release clauses can be put into a contract in the player's interest in order to sort of get them out, um, and they can be put into the contract in in a club's interest in order to kind of protect them i mean a figure like that i don't really understand if if it was that high i don't really understand what that release clause would do or who it would benefit because it's a lot of money i mean it's a lot of money it's not like you know newcastle would be letting him go for a bargain if that was met sometimes clauses also have 
time constraints on them. They can only be va- they they can only be available for a month in a transfer window or a couple of weeks, something like that. So as Chris says, they can often be very very complicated that you have these little sort of windows when they can be activated yeah they have caveats and all sorts don't they? it can be certain clubs or it can be certain competitions and all that kind of thing as well yeah uh, there's others wondering on the on our twitter feed if uh, newcastle have had many release clauses in player contracts in the past uh michael owen did he, did he have a, a release clause well if he did i'm just devastated it wasn't met <laughs> Demba Barr as well. I remember that he must have been. He was the king of release clauses, Chris yeah. Demba Barr, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah but I mean, that, that was again the, the, the as George says, sometimes release clauses can be in the player's interest, and that one sort of was because Barr signed on a on a on a, on a free transfer, and it was Newcastle took a bit of a gamble on him, but he also some of the, the the way that his deal was structured was based on that, and so then he had a release clause of seven million, which obviously. Chelsea then met. There was also Mikel Marino had a release clause. Yeah. Newcastle had benefited from the release clause to sign him in the first place. And then afterwards, people talked about his release clause seemed quite low. But it was that was partly time dependent. But also, it was Newcastle would never have signed him if he hadn't had a release clause in the first place. And then he wanted a release clause inserted into his contract. Yeah. So, and then we also had Ayelzea Perez who went because of a release clause to to uh, Leicester City. So that they they are not. Rare, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say they're in every single contract, but they're not necessarily rare. But they can be specific. They can be secret sometimes, and they don't even find out about them because the players move separately. But I mean, Ayose Perez is nobody knew about until, or nobody widely knew about it until he actually went. Basically, yeah. Fair enough. Right then, let's get moving on, chaps. Get in touch as well if you can out there. We're all on Twitter. Easy to find. uh, As is the show at Pod on the Time. And if you hate Twitter or X with a passion, uh, you can email us at Pod on the Time at theathletic.com. We'll be back in just a moment. After George has put his... George has just got up and walked away from this recording to presume put a shepherd's pie in the in the oven, which is what he said he was going to do. Was it shepherd's or cottage pie? I don't know. Oh, right, okay. Cottage pie. Hmm. It's cottage's beef, isn't it? And shepherd's pie's lamb. Yeah, I believe so. Is that right? I believe so. You should know this, Chris. Oh, you're right. a meat connoisseur. Yeah, well, it, it, it meat make, makes no difference to me. I'll eat either, so... There's a podcast idea for you, Chris. Chris Woff's Meat Masters. <laughs> You just get in local butchers and interview them. <laughs> What's your favourite sausage? Yeah. <laughs> Back in a moment. He's just fucked off, hasn't he? I need jelly, baby. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. George, was it shepherds or cottage pie? Shepherds. Oh, you're right. Lamb. Lamb mints. That's right, yes, that's correct. Yeah, sorry about that. No problem. Right, come on then. <coughs> 
Right then, back onto the Premier League and Newcastle have a very big run of games coming up. Starting with Brentford at St James's Park this Saturday, 5.30pm kickoff. And George, excuse my language, but this is a big fucking game now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, that, was, that was very dramatic. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's it. I suppose it feels more like a big week, doesn't it? I mean, because I think, you know, Brentford... It's back of those days of the big little games. It's not the most glamorous game. It's not Newcastle pushing at the top of the table, but it is, you know, they need a response to Brighton in particular because it was really disappointing and they need to get the season back on track. And of course, it's going to set the mood and the tone. They've then got that, you know, enormous, enormous match a couple of days later in Milan. Very, very exciting. But you want to be able to concentrate on that Milan game, feeling confident, feeling good, not sort of half being concerned about what's going on in the league. So it feels like a big game. It feels like they, you know, they just need to win. They need to win a match. That's a very sort of simple thing to say, a simplification, but they do. They need, the stadium needs to be at it, the players need to be at it, and they need to kind of get get things back on track. I agree. It's going to set the tone and Newcastle want to be flying to Milan, not feeling concerned about the pressure of the league. Yeah. This strikes me as very similar to the Fulham game last October for Newcastle, which came immediately after the second international break when the first one at this stage, but whereby it feels as if it could really help define what's going to happen over the course of the next few months and how the the start seems pretty negative at the moment because Newcastle have only won one of their first four, they've lost the last three games. But if Newcastle, in this big week of, of, of three matches, if they come out with three positive results, then suddenly I think there is a very different feel yeah. around the season, around the club, around everything that can be achieved uh, going forward. Whereas if Newcastle don't beat Brentford or certainly don't pick up at least four points from the Brentford and Sheffield United matches, then I think immediately the league form becomes a real concern going into what what look like eminently winnable fixtures but if Newcastle don't have the sort of form to do it so I agree last last season they saw that internally and I think they realised that this this international break there's been a lot of discussion about that and about how this really can put the, the season back on an upward trajectory and give them some real momentum at a time that they needed. Yeah, I mean, it should be remembered, of course, said this before, that in, in terms of the league, they only they won their first league match last season against Forest, but then it was one win in seven. And, you know, we forget that. Yeah. They did draw all of the other games, apart from that kind of um, very emotive and difficult defeat at Anfield. But they did all right last season, didn't they, after that run at the start? And I think, you know, in some ways it took that Liverpool game to sort of prove something to themselves, I think, and to give themselves something to respond to. I think we hoped that the Liverpool game this time might do the same at Brighton. There was a lot of anger internally at the fact that they'd let that match slip. But we didn't really see that on the pitch at Brighton. I mean, the odd, you know, the first two or three, four minutes aside, things slipped pretty quickly and it did feel like a lack of confidence. So, you know, they've had a lot of internationals away, which isn't ideal, but the people who've gone away, it gives them a chance to think about something else for a while. The people at back at home, there's been a bit of respite and a bit of time. And so you hope that they they can sort of attack that game with with fresh minds and fresh bodies. And there does need to be a response. We need to see and feel that things will be okay. And as George says, Chris, as well, there has been an awful lot of the squad who've been away on international duty. I'm thinking about those Brazilian lads. Do we expect them to be all right and involved? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke about them early in this podcast, and I argued with our producer that this should have been something let's that natural go, then evolution let's, let's on. Let's but I, I, I am going to bring that up. Just, <laughs> just, just stop it, yeah. You're a twat, Gareth. You're a twat and a no bend. You're a cock, you're a cock, you're a cock. You're a cock. Anyway, uh, I do think that they they will be involved. I mean, Joel Linton has obviously had some fitness issues, a uh, lack of training at certain points, although I think he has trained a little bit more than has, has, has necessarily been thought publicly. Yeah. The big debate is is whether the midfield balance really it should be how it was before the international break. That's what a lot of Newcastle fans are saying. Do, do the midfield three of Joel Linton, Bruno Gimaraes and Sandro Tonali actually work? Um, I think that there is a decent chance that Bruno Gimaraes and Joe Linton will start this weekend. Part of me wonders if Sandro Tonali may be kept back, partly because of what you mentioned earlier about the supposed muscle fatigue that he's had in national duty, but also the return to Milan on Tuesday and whether it's that that, that that's the game that, that he selected for these three. And what I find more interesting necessarily than just discussing whether the internationals will be involved is how Newcastle actually approach this three-game week because... A lot was said going into this season, both internally, externally, everyone, about how Newcastle needed extra depth. Well, so far this season, Eddie Howe's made one change, which was enforced. He hasn't he hasn't rotated because they've had one game a week. But now is the time where we see does he actually does he trust those players to come in and 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 it be a different level? Will Harvey Barnes maybe start this weekend or on Tuesday instead of instead of the other weekend? Will Tino Livermento maybe get a game here or there. Will Lewis Hall, although we we obviously know his fitness maybe hasn't been up to speed. Will Sean Longstaff come in somewhere? Will there be rotation or will Eddie Howe look to try and as much as possible play the same eleven in all three matches? In which case, maybe the squad isn't as deep as we as we necessarily thought. So I think that will tell us a lot about the levels that Eddie Howe thinks the rest of his squad are at. I agree with Chris. I do think it's very interesting. They're a lot closer theoretically, at least, to having. Two elevens, and you know that's what that's what Howe talked about wanting. You can just look at the bench and see that Newcastle's squad is much much stronger. the f- The funny thing, the ir- the ironic thing, is that the first team hasn't been much stronger in terms of those changes, as Chris says. You know, the only new signing to start a league match has been Sandro Tonali, and he started all of them. And certainly in terms of results, and also in terms of what we're seeing with our naked eye, that's not working. Because um, so you know, albeit you can you can watch Tonali and think to yourself, he's absolutely the real deal. That midfield is not working. So it's either that they're being asked to do different things that they're not used to, or Bruno and and Jolinton have have lost a bit of form, or it's just about accommodating that whole thing. The midfield last season was such a strength when you had that three of of uh, Bruno Jolinton and Sean Longstaff doing all the running. You know, it was such a formidable midfield and they all complemented each other. It's not just about throwing in, and I'm not saying Newcastle have done this, it's not about throwing in good players and just trusting that it works. It has to be part of a system and at the moment that system it hasn't hasn't been producing yet. And so I, I do think, I think it'll be very interesting to see what he does to the team, if anything, this weekend and then what the knock-on effect is for the Champions League because yeah. that is the idea for signing these players is that... They, there is that uh, capacity to rotate that they just didn't exist last season. Uh, Chris, is there much of a chance of us seeing Callum Wilson from the start? Maybe he's against Brentford. Obviously, Alexander Isaac's scored for Sweden, um, but he hasn't exactly been banging them in the league, has he? 
No, and obviously Wilson came on and took his goal very well at Brighton. Did miss a little bit of training, I think, with England. I, I see. I have paid a little bit of attention to, to what's been going on in national life. <laughs> not fully, but um, you love it, really. Oh, very much so. So I, I think that there is a, a decent chance again because maybe then Alexander Isak starts at AC Milan. So I think that that is that is the the way that Howe seems to have suggested that he's almost sold this to both of them, particularly Wilson, the fact that he hasn't started the season in the team is that he will play some matches. So I'd be shocked if Wilson didn't start at least one of the three games next week and maybe that will be against Brentford if Alexander Isak is deemed to be the player who starts at AC Milan. But then there's also, I mean, Wilson didn't replace Isak at Brighton. Isak went on to the left and actually for a fact, you know, Wilson did take his goal very well, but there was a response when those substitutes came on. Isak started running at the fullback, didn't he? And and give him him some problems. Yeah, and he actually, I, I thought he looked more effective there. I mean, this is something that Jacob and I wrote about over the international break, tried to do a bit of myth busting in terms of the start of the season and look at some of the data, but also speak to people around the club to get kind of get an idea about the whole thing about whether Eddie Howe was under pressure, what they'd done in the transfer market, but then also sort of looking at some individual players. Some of the stuff around Tonali was very interesting against Brighton he was further up the pitch than anybody almost so that felt like a very different role to the to the role that he'd played against Liverpool and in some of the earlier matches it was also interesting to see how isolated Isak had been uh, in some games including against Liverpool when you would have thought that when Newcastle had had an extra man he would have had more of the ball not less of it so i mean i think it sort of it shows that that this still is a work in progress, which is kind of quite weird when you think it's only one player coming in. Brighton have sold a shitload of players and brought in a load of players. Newcastle did some research, again, in in terms of transfers, of all the teams that finished in the top six last season, of all the teams that are in the top six now, Newcastle have, have had fewer new players to integrate into their team. And so that sense of, were they trying to be too clever in the transfer window, is an interesting one when you talk about Livermento and how much he costs and Lewis Hall, how much he will cost. You know, did they need another midfielder ahead of those players? Newcastle would argue that they have to protect themselves and the areas of the team where they had less strength and depth in terms of quality. And um, again, we won't see the we won't really see the merit of that argument until we actually see some of those players come into the team and and play. To play a slight devil's advocate, because I do agree that, the, and I mentioned it, I don't think the midfield balance has been ideal, but you got tactical, George, so I'm going to go further on it. I think the difference at Brighton was it was clear that Newcastle actually weren't off the ball in the usual 4-3-3. It was more of a 4-5-1, and actually it was the midfielders who went forward more, and Gordon and Almiron at times were almost like auxiliary wing-backs, so I think that partly explains the Tonali situation. I know it doesn't fully explain it, but I do, I do think that's partly why it was slightly different to Brighton because you could see Newcastle had set up differently yeah and I, th- I, th- I, th- and I think yeah to go back to the original question I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Wilson start and on that form that he showed at Brighton I would welcome that and yeah I mean Longstaff was probably the obvious odd one out at the start of the season if you're trying to pick a team that has Tonali in it but they've missed him they absolutely miss not just his running and his energy but also his quality you know I think he's a great player and again it presents an interesting it's it's sort of fascinating to see how little parts of the team 
can then affect all the other bits of the team when just one or two people go out of it and how you try and adapt. And Tonali is a very, very different player to Sean. And I think there are selection questions and quite interesting ones. Another player who'd be looking to get some minutes in those uh, rotations in the next week or so, Elliot Anderson. Chris, how's his injury situation? He's been pulled from the uh, from the Scotland squad. Sorry, you were a little Freudian slip there. Uh, pulled from the, the the Scotland squad, but he's rumoured to be getting the glad eye from Gareth Southgate and possibly switching allegiances. Well, yeah, for for most of his youth at national career, Elliot Anderson has represented Scotland. He has a, gr- a grandparent on his mother's side, I think it is, um, who. Uh, before he qualified for Scotland, despite being born in Whitley Bay, but then he did represent England under twenties, I think it was, um, or trained right. with them anyway. Um, so he he does qualify for both still, and seeing as he hasn't been capped, even though he's called up to to the Scotland squad, there is still that sit- situation available to him. He has had a bit of a, a niggling injury, and, he, and he's come back to to Newcastle. I think that probably, as long as he, he he has got some fitness, that has probably done his selection hopes for the next week probably some good I mean Eddie Howe we've seen this previously Sven Botman has pulled out previous national squads and, and, and then he's he's found himself in the team Yeah. so I think that again rotation wise we will see Elliot Anderson had a wonderful pre-season some people argued that he should have started the season in the team certainly at Man City I thought he made a difference there's a couple of matches he's come on and looked good but does Eddie Howe trust him to start a match yet? We will find out again over the course of next week. And I think, again, as long as he's fit, this feels like as good a time as any for him to play at least one of those three matches. And Harvey Barnes could be going in the other direction as well, couldn't he? Switching from uh, from England to Scotland. Well, it's fascinating. Yeah, that's something else that's been talked about. It's kind of difficult to get your head around it, really, isn't it? This idea of sort of moving between countries as a... I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a kind of interesting sort of debate when these kids get targeted at such a young age to, yeah. to do it and of course you know I you know I still haven't decided what I want to be when I grow up let alone all the rest of it and so they're kind of being asked to commit to something as big as that as a kid and of course so I do understand it in that sense but um it, I don't know it's also a bit sort of strange this idea of not being sure about who you want to represent and is it because you've got more chance of playing than not and all the rest of it would you qualify for Belgium George um, so I was born in Belgium. I now can't remember. That explains the an answer. awful lot to me. That I have to does be it? What? Yeah. Is that racist? That's racist. No, no, not even slightly. I've been to Belgium a saying? few times, and I've, I've right. met a lot of Belgian people. Right, and and you you fit them all perfectly. If, what does that mean? Likes to drink very strong beer. It's to, it's to do with chocolate. <laughs> I'm the eighth most famous person to come from Brussels, from Belgium. You're aware of that. I'm somewhere between Tintin and Eddie Merckx. Lovely stuff. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. What was I saying that? No, so, uh, true story, I was born there. At that time, I was eligible for dual nationality, or was el- eligible to become Belgian, but I would have had to have done national service for... For Brazil, so my parents made the decision not. You just actually said for Brazil. Did I say Brazil? <laughs> See, I'm I'm the same. I'm just I'll just go to whoever offers me a game. Brazil, yeah, no Amazing. problem. Um, so yeah, so I would I would have had to have done national service for Belgium. So my you parents switched allegiances there within five seconds, like, like at the drop of a hat, <laughs> at the drop of Bruno's magic hat. I mean, I did, I Impressive. did. Yeah, terrible. All right, let's move this on. We're getting silly. Uh, Chris, apparently Kieran Trippier starting a left-back for England against Scotland. We hear the lineups not being announced just yet, but the game is on Channel 4. That's a bit weird, isn't it? Football on Channel 4. Whatever next. I don't watch international, so I have no idea whether that's weird or not. But um, the tri- Trippier starting a left-back 
it is an interesting one, and I've seen some people. He's on played some, there before for England, he has, hasn't he? Yeah, and I've, yeah, I've yeah. Seen, he started yeah. some uh, major tournaments in, in that position for England in, in some games, and I've seen some fans argue, well, could he play for there for Newcastle with 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 Livermento having come in? I do think that that is more of a defensive move because Trippier. Uh, he, he's got a good left foot, but it's, it's a right foot, which is a real important weapon. And I think you'd lose a heck of a lot if you switch Trippier from the right to the left in an emergency situation, maybe. But I suspect that if Sven Botman is fit and available this weekend, then Newcastle will shift back to the, the back four that served, serviced them very well last season. And Dan Byrne will go back out to left back and Sven Botman will play left centre back. Otherwise, I, sus- I, I suspect that it'll probably be the same back four that, that played at Brighton, even though there were some issues. And obviously, Matt Target was hooked at one stage as well. So we shall see. Fair play. Let's move on then, chaps. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment to talk about the lasses. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So Stoke City unable to do it on a scorching hot Sunday in Kingston Park, a match that was in fact interrupted by the torrential downpour that happened late on Sunday afternoon. Uh, goals from Georgia Gibson, Elysia Body, Bridget Galloway sealed a 3-1 win. Hannah Greenwood unfortunately saw red late on in the game, uh, but all in all another good result and it's now a very, very good start to the season, isn't it George? Yeah, two wins, two wins out of two in the league. I've uh, obviously I was doing the Great North Run, so I wasn't able to be there. But I've watched the highlights on uh, Newcastle's website, and I had a friend there as well who said it was a really dominant performance. Brilliant goal from Georgia Gibson. She looked to be in really, really good form. And yeah, can't ask for much more than than they've done so far. The uh, I experienced some of that weather in South Shields <laughs> yes. um that that caused the caused the match to be uh delayed a bit. It was really incredible. But yeah, they just they're looking so good. They're looking really, really strong. Uh we know that it's a marathon of a league and it's a very unforgiving league, but I mean just really encouraging so far. Yeah, so far only Newcastle and last year's champions, Nottingham Forest, the only teams in the FAWNL uh, Northern Premier who can boast a 100% record as well Chris that's quite impressive well Newcastle as we know have only just come up in this level and to, they've clearly stepped it up they've brought in a lot of players over the summer and I mean the ambition again is that they've made it quite clear they would like to go up once again so they've started very well Nottingham Forest will pose a huge challenge for them because they've continued their form from last year but uh, Becky Lange and Lasses have made the ideal start and they can hopefully build from this position absolutely and uh, the FAWNL Cup draws happened as well Newcastle United 
tonight. It will travel to the fantastically named Boldmere St. Michael's on Sunday, October the 1st. What a, I can't imagine what kind of magical place that is, George. No, I mean, that is one of the names. That is, that's the name of a place that I, I couldn't tell you what part of the country that was in. Could be anywhere. Literally could be anywhere. Where do you think, Chris? Southern. Do you think Southern? I mean, I think well, Southern. I've just Googled it, so I can't, I, I, I can't pretend. Well, okay, <laughs> don't give the game away yet. I'm I'm getting slightly hobbity vibes. I think it's... so. I think it's somewhere near Dorset. I think it's got a shire. I think I think whatever the county is, it's it's Lord of the Rings, hobbity. It's got a shire in the name. Go on, then. I'm going to say twat shire. <laughs> Come on, Chris, put us out from misery. Where is it? I mean, it's Sutton Coldfield, so it's basically the outskirts of Birmingham, so it's not not quite what you were saying. Not quite what you were saying. Not quite what Not quite so magical after all. <laughs> no, no, that doesn't sound particularly magical, does it? No. Absolutely oh, well. not. Anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, another international fixture in the news this week, albeit for very different reasons. No Newcastle players involved, uh, but Saudi Arabia lost 3-1 to Costa Rica. Attendance was listed as precisely 5,000, uh, which is a quite a suspiciously round number, isn't it? Uh, and there was a small protest group outside the ground. Jacob's written a piece about this. I read that this morning. It's an excellent piece. I'd recommend anybody going and, uh, and having a look at that. Uh, George, the Saudi Arabia games at St. James's Park... It's been a little bit of a controversial point, hasn't it? Yeah, and so they played two games. They're playing South Korea uh, this evening as we record. So we'll kind of wait to see how many people have gone to that. Yeah, it's a, it, it is a, a bizarre thing. I mean, on the one hand, it's absolutely a logical thing to happen when you've got 80% owners, uh, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, when they've identified Saudi Arabia as a target for increasing support for the club in that part of the world. And of course, you know, it's a way for Newcastle to increase their revenue uh, when you're talking about appearance, you know, uh, paying to appear at St. James's and all the rest of it. There's a There's certainly a degree of logic to it. It also felt controversial in the sense of being uh, is inflammatory the right word i'm not sure if it is but obviously when the takeover happened the big thing was that the premier league talked about being given those guarantees about separation between newcastle newcastle's owners and the saudi state obviously this is the football team it's not the state itself but it, it sort of felt like a needless kind of inflammatory thing yeah, I don't know. I've not paid any attention to it. I've no interest in going to see that. Same. You know, as as far as I'm concerned, Newcastle uh, St James's is about Newcastle United, and you know, some there were some clips on social media about the protesters and some some of the response to that. I found that really disappointing and sort of didn't enjoy that at all. I don't know. I don't like it. It's not something I'm interested in. Um, I would recommend people reading Jacob's piece. I don't know how much interest there was locally either. I mean, it was a crowd of 5,000. Jacob talks about it being a very different sort of attendance, lots of lots of uh, Saudi students there. It's interesting. It's part of the reality, of course, of Newcastle's existence now. It's just part of it that I'm not massively keen on, I have to say. I'm not either. But it's, I mean, when you mention the sort of uh, wider interest and was there any... And this may be because I have no interest in international football and also I haven't really been massively on, on social media, but I, I didn't see loads of, of it being pushed really, that it was really pushed out there. So it almost seems as if Newcastle have had this, Newcastle United have had this, but haven't made a massive thing about that it's been at St. James's Park. That 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 may be an unfair representation, but that's the way that it seems to be to me, as if it's almost like we're going to do this, but we're not going to make it an overt sort of thing. 
I said from the very start that over time the relationship would only almost inevitably get stronger and I think that that is turning out to be the case and yeah it's not something I would have any interest in going to see not only because it's in national football but also I just wouldn't want to go to anyway so um, I, I, do, I did find it quite unsavory some of the, the videos that were doing the rounds I agree with George the protesters are there making making very valid points which not everyone may agree with or not everyone may feel it is the, the arena for them to do it in in terms of it representing the football club or whatever their views may be but equally that they have every right to be there and I do think that some of some of the comments were, were completely unnecessary. I have to say as well, like from a, from a from a fan's perspective as well, those those few people who they showed on that video, you know, they, they were in the minority. I've been led to believe, and the majority of fans were quite happy to let the protesters go about their business peacefully, which I think is the right thing to do. Oh yeah, that's absolutely yeah. what they should be allowed to do. Um, a couple of numpties uh, trying to get views on social media accounts is 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 one thing, but uh, I don't think it was. No, it. I mean, you, you know, I, I, it's it's funny, it's. We've been thinking about this for for years now, for a long time. It's not just since Newcastle's in the time that Newcastle's been owned, which is getting on to getting on for two years now um, by the by the new ownership group. It was for a long time before that, and I think it it is important that we remain mindful of it and that we we think about it and don't you know not. I think there was that reaction in football where if something gets attacked, it's like you're being attacked or your club is being attacked. But there are some kind of important subjects here that sort of should go should go beyond that. Absolutely doesn't mean you have to agree with what protesters are saying. Likewise, you might have absolutely the opposite views. You might have views that are somewhere in the middle. You might be conflicted. You might not be. But I don't think we have to think of everything as an attack on us because it's not. And um, there wouldn't be need to be protests if if these games weren't happening. And I certainly don't think Newcastle have got anything out of it from a local point of view in terms of people who were there so my assumption is that is that it's for the audience back in back in Saudi yes i would say so let's uh, let's move on and round things up um we have just uh, seen in the last few days as well some cgi images released of what the uh, the the fan zone or the fan park potentially at St James's Park is going to look like, Chris? Have you seen these images? I have indeed. Yes, um, bit two big screens is going to be, and there's going to be a stage uh, in the middle. It's where the the former Metro car park uh, was, just on uh, on Strawberry Place, the land which uh, the lease of the land which was acquired back by the club after having been sold yeah. uh, by Mike Ashley in 2019 or finalised in 2019. So um, yes, this is this is what well, the hope to have something in place. I think by the end of the year or certainly at least the, the, the foundations of it in, in place by, by the end of the year and then that will be somewhere where people can go before and after the game but it'll be open seven days a week and then also it, it'll show some of the matches the ones that, the ones that it can um, and then over time we, we, we will see what happens with, with that land because I know that, that there's still the big question mark about expansion and whether that's the, the obvious place to go whether you can expand the Gallagher end into that area but for at least the the short to medium term there's going to be uh, this stack as as, as, the, as as was previously opposite the Tyneside Cinema in Newcastle it's now moving across to uh, the St James next to St James's Park It was really good you know it was really good that place Taylor you played there a few times didn't Yeah you? loads of times yeah I was a regular there yeah you used to do that quite a lot I'm, I'm I've already uh, stuck my name down for uh, pre-match gigs at, uh, at the new fan zone if, they, if that happens. So I'm sure uh, 
I'm sure I'll be mentioning that at some point. Yeah, I'm uh, sure that'll have that'll have people flocking flocking in <laughs> flocking um, in opposite directions. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's I mean it's quite interesting. I mean, so a lot of those new a lot of the new stadiums, you know, like for example, or newer stadiums, they're in the middle of nowhere. So like the Etihad Stadium in, in Manchester, there's nothing around it, and that the fan zone around it is therefore quite good because it gives people. You know, somewhere to go, really, somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. somewhere yeah. to go and congregate. They put music on on the stage, and that's kind of quite nice. And they, they get special guests. I mean, you could argue that Newcastle already has a fan zone. It's called the fucking pub, <laughs> the city of Newcastle. It's called the yeah. pub. It's called the city of Newcastle. And so, you know, I wouldn't want this to sort of det- detract yeah, that people away that. from from the pubs and all the rest of it. I don't think it will. I think I think if more people are attracted into the city centre before a match. Then that sort of benevolence will spread, will sort of spread everywhere, and that is kind of dead land as well. That that sort of bit is an ugly stretch of land, and it's you know I think it's great to have something interesting, exciting, and what you know one of the things where Newcastle have a lot of catching up to do is is in the stuff that they provide inside the stadium for supporters in terms of food and drink. I know they've redone some of the higher end stuff but it'll be nice if you can actually go to somewhere that's kind of attached to the club get a nice pint get something good to eat and hang out one very silly thing if you've not seen the cgi pictures have a look and sort of zero in onto the onto the people that they put there they're absolutely hilarious uh people randomly getting cross at a, at a football match someone celebrating playing someone Someone looking unhappy yeah yes i love all that Absolutely. We need a we need a man in just his underpants with a carrier bag, just CGI'd in there somewhere. <laughs> That's what you need, don't you? Uh right then. Uh let's let's move on and get things wrapped up. Uh lots of messages to us as well about ticketing. Uh unfortunately we don't really have anything substantial to say on that at the moment, uh, but we know you're keen to hear that discussion. So we promise to line something up uh, in the not too distant future. In the meantime, if you do have concerns about ticketing, what I would suggest personally is speaking to somebody involved with NUST and, and, and joining that organization because those are the guys who can speak to the club uh, on behalf of fans and, 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 and get any information out there about ticketing. On top of that, we'll be back on Monday to preview Newcastle's trip to Milan. Yes, that's right. Milan in the Champions League. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you saw this tweet from Jacob yesterday or today, was it? Interesting numbers from Opta Analyst Prediction Model on the chances of each member of Newcastle United's groups reaching the quarterfinals. Newcastle at the top of that prediction model with 28.3%. Now, is that purely based on the fact that we can't possibly get Manchester City in the round of 16? Uh, it may well be. It may well be that. But I, I also I also think, I, I, I mean, obviously the data that will have relied to Newcastle has no European history t- towards it in terms of recent European history. So that, that skews everything. But I do think if, if you're taking on board Newcastle's form last season, their home form in general... Um, then that's probably where that gets generated by, and also the the, the issues we've already spoken about in, in in recent weeks when when the draw was made that each of the teams Newcastle have drawn, in particular Milan and Dortmund, they do have weaknesses. They're not necessarily the Milan and Dortmund of, uh, that we know from the past, yeah. And so therefore, I do think Newcastle have a very good chance of of progressing from this group. It will be difficult, but I do think it, it, that none of those teams will fancy coming to St James's. Can't wait to see Dan Burns smash one in in the San Siro. An overhead kick from the edge of the box, something mad like that. Can't wait, can't wait. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating. Of course, this isn't the Newcastle of last season either. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's there's give and take on that. But um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully a good win 
against Brentford on Saturday sets things up nicely. It's going to be an absolutely brilliant occasion. Come what may, I'm going to be there. Uh, very lucky. So is Ollie, our producer. So, yeah, really looking forward to it. Great stuff. Right then, I think I've tried to wrap this podcast up five times already, but let's do it properly this time. Subscribe to The Athletic via theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pay just $1 or £1 a month, depending on where you're located, for 12 months. That's it, chaps. Thanks very much for your time, Chris. You're very, very welcome. I'm glad the international break is nearly over. Cause yeah, I, I kind of like thought it was, you know, for the first time for a long time, I was ready for an in- international break. We all needed a bit of, things were too tetchy with Newcastle, and then it lasts for about two days, and it's like, oh, fucking hell, this Fuck is awful. This, this, this is, is awful. Yeah. We're going to have to talk about this on the podcast. Bring back Chris football gonna, that I actually care about, please. Chris is going to get angry. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks for your time anyway, George. It's been fun. You're very welcome. Yeah, nice one. Thanks. And thank you to all of you out there listening as well. Of course, uh, we'll be back early next week, Monday, I believe, uh, and we'll have a little chat about that AC Milan game coming up. From everybody at Pod on the Time, thanks a lot for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Will Jacob have finished the Great North Run by the time we're doing <laughs> Ah, don't do that. Matron! Tinker Christopher Wolf. Athletic.